0: So when you think about spiritual gifts, what sort of things do you think about? Oftentimes when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's this mystical, magical thing, this thing that happens once in a while and for special events, for special occasions. Maybe it's something that has to do with just what happens in church. But what if the gifts of the Spirit are more than that? What if the Holy Spirit actually cares about the other 167 hours of the week? And so the story for today that we're going to look at from the book of Exodus helps us understand that. So we're in a series called Echoes of the Spirit. We're looking at the work of the Holy Spirit as revealed to us in the Old Testament. Just a few things to think about as we begin is just simply the language around the Holy Spirit. Um, The Holy Spirit, sometimes we, and I think even last week I referred to the Holy Spirit as it. The Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the Trinity. We talk about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons. But the nature of language makes it difficult, the way our language works. And so we would naturally use something called the Spirit. We put a the, so we'd say it. And so, But I just want us to remember that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, there was one writer that I read. I started reading a book that he'd written on prayer. And at first I thought there was a typo because it just simply said Holy Spirit and there was no the in front of it. And I thought, wow, the editor missed that. And then a couple paragraphs later, it happened again. And then a few paragraphs later, it happened again. And I, all of a sudden it occurred to me, this was intentional. And so the idea that this writer was trying to get across was to say instead of the Holy Spirit, to simply say Holy Spirit. As if it were a name and a way to remind us that Holy Spirit is personal and a person. So, but to set the stage for our passage for today, we have to go back again to the book of Genesis, where we always go back to, right? We have to go back to the book of Genesis. But the idea that God created the world, and a lot of scholars, a lot of people see this creation of the world as a formation, as God is building the world in Genesis chapter one, and there's these seven days, these six days of creation and the seventh day of rest. That God is creating a temple for himself to live in, a place where he lives in. And the Garden of Eden is this intersection between heaven and earth. And so the way I often think about it, it's heaven is God's space and earth is people's space. And so there's this place where those two things meet, where heaven and earth meet. There's this intersection place, and that's the temple. And so in the temple, in an ancient Near Eastern religions, in the temple then there would be placed an idol, a representation of the God. But what's placed in the center of the garden is People. And so people become the idol, or in the language of the book of Genesis, the image of God. And so, as we think about those things, I've got to fix this just a second here. The joy of technology here. I forgot to turn off my screen saver thing, and so it keeps shutting down on me. Uh. We'll just delete this out of the video later, or this will be part of a bloopers first. (laughs) Sermon bloopers. All right. So anyways, back to the Garden of Eden. This is part of the curse. Part of the fall is technology here. So so the idea is that people were placed in the Garden to be the representatives of God. They were to be the priests. They were to reflect God. God's glory to the rest of the world. They were to show the world to God. And so that's the role of people in the world. And so this plays an important part in our story for today because part of it is to remember that God's people are called to be His representatives. And that Eden was originally this place of connection, a place of the temple and the tabernacle, and it's fascinating to see how those images are echoed in the building of the tabernacle and of the building of the temple, and there's these seven seven days And that's all fascinating stuff, but we're not going to go too much down that rabbit trail today. But I want to just set that scene for us. So then we come to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is the story of God's people. They're in slavery in Egypt. God frees them out of slavery and then brings them to this place called Sinai. And there at Sinai, he begins to give them the commands. He begins to establish this relationship, a covenant with them, this partnership where they're going to be his representatives on earth. And so that's the beginning of the book of Exodus and that brings us up through about chapter 18 and God comes down and says, here's all the laws and commands and people said, yeah, we'll do that, we'll do that. And then around Exodus chapter 25, it slows way down. because, like you're reading through the first part, if you've ever read through the book of Exodus, you're reading through and it's, oh, this is great stuff and then all of a sudden in Exodus chapter 25, it goes into this long detailed set of instructions. How many of you like reading instruction manuals? How many of you actually ever read instruction manuals? Some of you do. Some of you read the instruction manual. Some of you, you get that item and you just pull it out and you say, well, I'll figure it out, right? You just start plugging things in and hoping that it works and you screw it here. And if you've got a few parts left over at the end, it was the manufacturer's fault. You just throw those away. Well, Exodus 25 begins this instruction manual and the instruction manual is how to build the tabernacle. You see, the people of God have been at Mount Sinai, but God didn't call them out of slavery to stay at Mount Sinai. He called them out of slavery so they could go to this land of promise. And there in the land of promise, they would be His people and they would show the world what God is like. And so they have to go from Mount Sinai to this land of promise. And they've been at the mountain. And Think about mountains. Mountains reach up into the sky, or in other words, mountains are in some place, a place where what? Heaven and earth meet. And God has been there meeting with the people. And there's a sense, and while we understand it's not really true, there's a sense where if the people leave the mountain, God's going to be stuck in the mountain. And we know that's not true. We know that God is everywhere. But there's got to be this sense of God has a place. And so the tabernacle, this tent, is a representation of that. So they are building something for God's presence to go with them to the land of promise. So this tent with this elaborate tent and there's all these instructions about you gotta have 50 gold rings and you gotta use goat hair to make the curtains and use this kind of blue and use this kind of purple and the curtains are exactly this size. And you think, why do I need to know all this stuff? I'm not going to build a tabernacle. And if I were, I wouldn't need instructions. I'd just figure it out, right? But one of the things we see as we read this story is the reason for these elaborate instructions is God is saying, stop, this is something important. It's going for this long time. And what's even more confusing, if you read it's about chapters 25 through 31 or this long description of, here's the instructions to build the tabernacle. Then there's a little interruption where the people worship a golden calf and it's all a mess. And then it picks back up in chapter 35. And you start reading chapter 35, and you think, wait a minute, I just read this. Because what the writer of Exodus does is gives all the instructions, and then in chapter 35 it says, and then they did, and what did they do? They did all the instructions. And it's just a repeat of everything that happened before. But again, the point is, God gave clear instructions, and said, this is how I want you to build a tabernacle. This is how I want it because my presence with you is critical and I need you to pay attention. And then it's to say, and the people did what they were supposed to do. So that's all the backstory for what's going on here. So we come now and there's been several chapters of all these instructions and stuff. And then we come to chapter 31 in Exodus. And that's the part where I want to focus. And so it says, then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. This is interesting. Like all of a sudden, we're introduced to this one craftsman, and then another craftsman, Oholiab, and then it says there's some other craftsmen. We say, Well, what's going on here? Why, why do we slow down? But I want us to see something here where he says, "See, I have chosen," and maybe depending on your translation, it might say, "I have called by name," or "I have called." And called is one of those words that in Christian circles sometimes has a special meaning. And sometimes we use it in particularly things. It's one of those Christians speak. And so as a, someone who's in vocational ministry, in other words, this is what I do for my job. Sometimes I speak about my call to ministry. And if you talk to anyone who's in vocational ministry, whether they're a missionary, whether they're a pastor whatever sort of vocational ministry they're in, they'll talk about their call to ministry. And when you go through an interview process, they'll say, oh, tell us about your call to ministry. In other words, how did God speak and, and call you into ministry? And you will tell this long story about this different thing or sometimes like, I don't know, I just ended up here. And there's this story about how God calls into ministry. But I want us to notice that this is the same language that's used to speak of Bezalel. He says, I have called Bezalel. In other words, Bezalel is called just as everyone else is called. And what's Bezalel's job? He's a craftsman. I mean, he does a whole lot of stuff. He works in gold and silver and bronze. He cuts and sets stones. He works in wood and all kinds of crafts. In other words, he's an artisan. He's also a blue-collar worker. He's a builder. And so when it says that Bezalel was called in other words God called by name God chose him and said you are the one and he spoke to him God is saying that his calling matters what he does is just as important as everything else that everybody else does and what was his job his job was to build the tabernacle along with Aholiab and all these other artisans and what was the tabernacle again the presence of God right It was a place for the presence of God. But if we turn to our New Testament, we don't have a tabernacle, but in fact, New Testament writers describe what? All of us as the temple, or all of us as the dwelling place of God. And so what I want us to think about is, if we are all the temple, we are all the tabernacle, and we are all called, then the jobs we do each and every day, whatever that work is, is a representation of of God to the world around us. Sometimes we think of like, oh, well, you have a calling, Carl. You, you have this thing where you have a special job and you're called to serve God. Exodus 31 reminds us that all of us are called to serve God. In all of our tasks, in whatever job we're doing during the week, whether we're working at a school or at a hospital or at a factory, whether we're maybe working at home, we're working in front of a, behind a desk, working on a computer, or we're out in the field, we're under the hood of a car, or we're crawling under the basement to fix some plumbing. Wherever job we're doing, we're fulfilling a calling, we're filling this vocation to represent God to the world. Because what, is, what sort of things does God do? God creates, God makes, God brings justice to the world. And so we think about, what does God do? God has care and compassion on the world. So if you are serving as someone who is in social work, you're serving as a nurse or as a doctor, as a counselor, maybe working at a food pantry, maybe working at a homeless shelter, you are demonstrating God's care and compassion to the world. God seeks to bring justice to the world. So if you're working for a non-government organization and working to fight human trafficking or you're working to fight against hunger, and again, it may be down at a local food pantry or it may be working against racism, it may be working against something else, you're seeking to live out a calling to bring about God's ways in the world. You're living out that call to be God's representatives on earth. And so as we think about all that God does and all of his tasks, And He's called each and every one of us. And so it's a reminder that all of us have a calling. And that we live out and we reflect who God is in everything we do. So it's not just when we're teaching a Bible study or we're singing with the worship team or we're leading a children's thing or when we're doing working at a food truck for a church type thing. But what I want us to encourage us to do is to think about All the work we do, just like Bezalel, who was called by name, that all the work you do is a representative of who God is. That all the work you do is something that God has empowered you to do. In fact, that's what we're going to look at next, because then it goes on, in the next verse it says, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. All right, Bible quiz. Who's the first person in the Bible that's described as being filled with the Spirit? guesses Bezalel so we think of the you know filled with the spirit it's like oh and you know somebody was filled with the spirit and they got up and preached this sermon or they tore down these walls Bezalel's filled with the spirit and what does he do he builds some things in other words this task is no less holy this task is no less sacred this task is no less important to God than all of those other things this is the only the third time in the Bible the Spirit is mentioned. It's mentioned, the verse we talked about last week, Genesis chapter one, verse two, where the, the Ruach, Elohim, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And then in the end of chapter, in Genesis, when Pharaoh was talking about Joseph and describes him as being filled with the Spirit, and then next, or having the Spirit of God, not being filled with Spirit, but being touched by the Spirit. And here now, the Spirit fills. And so the Spirit fills fills Bezalel. In other words, every task is sacred. And this task that I do on a Sunday morning is no less a work of the Spirit than what all of us do on a Monday morning. Sometimes we want to set those things apart. We read a passage like 1 Corinthians, and it's like, oh, and here's you know, the work of the Spirit. The Spirit has given gifts for this and for that. And, and there are all these kind of holy tasks. There are all these special tasks. We think, oh, and I, and we think, well, I don't know what it is. But here God is reminding us that each of the tasks that we have, no matter what it is, has value. And each one is sacred. That God cares so much about this building. And now, I, you know, it goes on and it, it talks about how he does all these things. Now, I don't think that Bezalel woke up that morning and all of a sudden the Spirit of God filled him. He's like, oh, wait a minute. I know how to work with gold and silver. I think he already knew how to do that. He was a craftsman. He'd been training all his life. But God empowered him for that moment to be able to do something special. To do something special. And it's the same for each of us. I want us to be thinking about the work of the Spirit in our lives, not simply as something that's for an hour or two of the week, but that the Spirit is empowering us to work in all of our lives, whatever tasks we do in a day. All the different activities of the day are an opportunity for us to participate in the creative work of God. When I first started working on this sermon, I was thinking about just the idea of creativity, and I had defined that narrowly in thinking in terms of arts. You know, I was like, we can be creative. And I realized that as I read it more and I spent more time with it, that it's much more than that. It's much bigger than that. That creativity is the call to be creative like God is creative. In other words, to create with a little c like God creates, to make something. And so there is an artist named Mako Fujimura. And Mako Fujimura writes a book. He writes about art and faith and work. And at one point, he tells a story. He tells a story of a school, a a charter school in New York City. And in this charter school in New York City, at the center of the school is the art department. And the first question a student is asked when they come into this school is, what are you going to make today? What are you going to make today? And then the art teacher will help them explore it and the goal isn't necessarily for everyone to become an artist, and so he tells, he goes on and he tells the story of one person who went in and was, became interested, the art teacher asked, what are you going to make today? And what the art teacher does then is, as the student explores this question and learns more about it, oftentimes the art teacher pushes the student off to other teachers with similar interests. And so one student comes in and says, well, here's what I'm interested in. I'm going to make this photograph, and begins to learn about the process of photography and chemicals, and actually ends up becoming a chemical engineer then. All because it started with the question of, what are you going to make today? And so I would like to leave us with that question. The question that you might begin your day with tomorrow is to wake up in the morning and to recognize that you are created by God that you have been gifted by God, that you have been empowered by the Spirit of God, and that God is inviting you to participate as His creature in creation and to ask, what am I going to make today? How am I going to use the gifts that God has given me? And I use that term very broadly when I say the gifts that God has given you, all the ways in which God has created and shaped you. Now there are times when there are Particular gifts that are given, and particular talents and gifts, and sometimes a filling of the spirit for a particular moment in time, but all the gifts, all the ways that God has shaped you, the talents, the passions, all those things, and say, How am I going to use those to reflect God to the world? How am I going to use what God has given to me? How am I going to use the gifts that God has created me to make a tabernacle, a place where God dwells and people see His presence? So when you wake up tomorrow, when you get ready to go to work, when you get ready to go to school, when you are preparing for the rest of the day, if you're working at home or you're caring for your kids or your grandkids, whatever it is you're doing, ask the Spirit to help you answer that question. Maybe it's not what am I going to make, but maybe it's a question along with Holy Spirit to say, what are we going to make today? How am I going to participate in this act of creation? How am I going to be the person that you have called me to be? And as we create, as we make in this world, we are serving as representatives of who God is. We are bringing His presence into the world. As you care for a loved one, as you teach a student, as you build, as you make, as you do these things. You are representing God to the world. So what are we going to make tomorrow? What, by the power of the Spirit, will we make? Amen.